Hi, this is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are, well, Tony is, talking to Mike McMahon, showrunner of Lower Decks, in a very brief but excellent interview that he got earlier this week. But before we get to that, we're going to start with the news, kicking things off with a bit of a Strange New Worlds update from Anson Mount. Anson's doing publicity for his new movie. With Anthony Hopkins, right? Yes. Yeah. Academy Award winner. No joke. <laughs> Anthony Academy Hopkins. Award show closer, not closer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But he's doing it from the set of uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is shooting in Toronto. And so in a new interview, he's confirmed that they're halfway through shooting season one, which is 10 episodes long. So that sort of means they're at a pretty good pace, even for COVID. So it's not really having a big delay factor, it seems, so far on the show, because they started shooting in February. Right. I mean, he did say things are much slower, which we know, because everyone filming anything is talking about it. Yeah. But you know, pre-COVID, they were shooting at about two weeks an episode, right, for all of the Star Trek shows, Discovery, Picard, those shows. So if they're halfway through, that means they're close to having five done, if not already done. Yeah. Speaking of the COVID protocols, I mean, he did say it's going smoother than any show he's ever started on, you know, and he's worked on a lot of TV shows. That's pretty cool that he he feels that even with all the hassles of COVID, this show, which I know is very important to him because he's a Star Trek fan, he feels is going that well to start with. Yeah. I mean, it's he also says that it's a drag that they can't um, hang out, which I get. He said he'd be hosting barbecues normally, which made me want to go get a job on a show that Anson Mount is on so I could go to the barbecues. But... It's sad that they can't they can't get to know each other, I guess, in the way that they normally the actors normally would, which is that they'd have dinners and spend time together, and the protocols are very strict. So there's none of that going on, which has to be also has to be kind of hard. Like you just go back to your room after. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mary and Noah talked about this. You know, when we asked, "Are you guys all hanging out?" She's like, "No, no, it's <laughs> no, it's hanging out." Not even, you know, not even within Discovery Crew, and let alone having this kind of cross pollination between the two of them. Um, the one thing that kind of, I don't know, concerned is such a strong word, so I'm not going to use it, even <laughs> though I just did. But he, I mean, the way he said it is basically like he only has met and seen these people on the set. Now, obviously, he and um, Rebecca and Ethan already had a chemistry going from their times on the short treks in discovery, but this shows introducing a whole bunch of new actors and no. And if you're not in scenes with them, you probably don't see them now. He's the captain. So I would assume he's in scenes with a lot of them, but we know, you know, a lot of our cast members don't always have scenes together in these various shows so it means they're not spending any time together i mean think about it that original three they also have been to conventions together they've done press events together they've probably hung out quite a bit but you know i wonder did they even do chemistry tests with these guys because that's often during the audition process there's chemistry tests maybe they did those 
remotely or something, but you want to see how these people work together. And, you you know, it's important to, I I assume they're doing some rehearsing and stuff like that, but it would just be weird to like these, to think about, we have these, this show with these major cast members and they're like, okay, this is so-and-so and he's playing the security chief and action. Right, go. <laughs> and you're like, what? Um, so it, it just it's just weird, you know. This whole living under pandemic, we all have our weird things, and this that's definitely a weird thing that he's like meeting and interacting with these people solely on set in costume. I mean, like some of these people are probably in prosthetic makeup; you may not even know what they look like. Right. It's like guest stars on Star Trek shows in the 90s often would meet the cast later who didn't recognize them because they'd only seen them with their big heads and their, you know, prosthetics and things like that. Another minor Strange New Worlds thing is one of the directors of the show who's a familiar Star Trek director, Maha Varvillo. She's directed for Discovery and for Picard and she revealed she directed episode two. She showed some pictures from the set, not really, you know, just a kind of a shot of a script page, the clapboard nothing on it. Yeah. And a clapboard. Um, it showed some people got excited cause it showed logos for the show. Um, we don't have an official title treatment, uh, for strange new worlds yet. So I, you know, it's cool to see what they're using on set, but we can't assume this is what they're going to use for the show. But it is that there's a very colorful one showing the Enterprise with kind of a rainbow streak on it. So it's at least fun for that. Um, But, but, you know, it's no surprise that we're seeing um, directors that they've used before. It might be significant, but it shows the episodic thing of like for Picard, they're doing these two episode chunks, right? Because it's highly serialized. Whereas for Strange New World, she's doing episode two, we know that Akiva did episode one, so they're probably doing one director for each episode, which is what they do for Discovery anyway. Right. Which gets me more excited about the show at this point, just because I'm looking forward to the episodic nature of it very much. Yeah. I wonder if they'll go for a full slate of like 10 directors, though, because we know that Frakes is probably doing at least two Discoveries this season, and Toon Day's probably doing three or four um, but I think just all part of the episodic nature, I think it'll be fun to have multiple directors to maybe help give it a you know, different feel for each episode, even though we know that it's sharing writers across the page. Um, right. I mean, part of the director issue also because they're filming in Canada would be COVID protocol related because it's a big deal to bring somebody in and there's a big time investment. So they might, it might make sense to bring someone in and have them do two in a row at some point if they're coming in from somewhere else. Something that we don't think they're doing, but would be fun, even though I'm almost, you know, it would, it doesn't make sense in the modern sense to do it this way, would be to have multiple composers as well. But those days, no, nobody does that anymore. Yeah. (laughs) That, I mean, that's, that would go truly old school on the original series to have all those different composers. Um, but, um, but hopefully whatever they do with the music, they maybe change it up a little bit episode to episode to help with this kind of different tone thing. Yep. So switching to Star Trek Picard, uh, we've been keeping our eye on John Delancey on 
cameo. And last week we said he just shut up and stopped talking about Picard. Well, that lasted for about a week. <laughs> he's now doing it again. He's back. Yeah. He's back. And and he, he again, it's he's not answering questions about Picard. He's saying, you know, happy anniversary and I'm back on Picard. Um, <laughs> now, there's no big news. He, he's talked a little bit about, you know, learning more about his character, who we have to remember was only in a total of 10 episodes through the Berman era, right? Well, it's like, I think he did say seven TNGs, one Deep Space Nine, and three Voyagers. Okay, so that's 11. It depends on I if think. you count two I know there's two parters, so... so do you count that as one? I kept right. thinking he did two Voyagers, but actually he did three. It's not like Patrick Stewart, who's done, you know, literally dozens how many episodes did he do in movies so there's still a lot to learn for him for his character but it does sound like their cue is definitely got some evolution in this two seasons six episodes of Q, um and they're still at it i'm sure we'll learn more in the weeks to come if yeah. people keep buying cameos from him <laughs> so we talked a little bit about our next topic um uh, with gates last week which is we're we're just about to transition into in-person events again, which haven't been happening since March 2020. But we got some news in the last week that we're not there yet. So there was an official Star Trek event set for June 2020 in Germany, Destination Star Trek, that has been postponed and moved to September 2022. It was delayed last year as well, obviously, of course. So no destination Star Trek Germany for 2021. But the same company that runs that massive events reconfirmed destination Star Trek London, which is in November, is definitely happening. And they put out a new video with Bob Picardo literally toasting to say it's happening so they kind of want to get the message out of okay we're not ready yet but we're going to be ready by november yeah november is a totally reasonable time very reasonable and but it's still i still think and if it's been a big topic of conversation amongst the trek movie staff that the 55 year mission which is what the new star trek las vegas is being called this year because it's no longer, quote, officially a Star Trek convention, even though <laughs> it like, is. It is, basically. Yes. It's 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 so funny how creation just is like, we we don't have the license, but we're just, you know, that doesn't we're just gonna do everything the same. It, no, and you know. use all, book all the same people and talk to all the same people who like the creation people and talk to them. So yeah, it's all the same. Yeah. Although, so so they're up to like 110 guests now invited, which I think is, I can't remember what it was last year, but I think they're already at the same level, if not more than they were last year, and they've still got more to go. What's nice is we're still seeing people from the new shows. So it isn't just, quote, legacy shows. It's, we're seeing Strange New Worlds people. So Rebecca's going to be there. I think the whole cast of Discovery. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, I mean, you know, so all the big people, right? Um, Sonequa and Anthony and Doug and Mary, but 
you know, the, the rest of the bridge crew and a few Picard people as well, not Patrick Stewart. But it's nice that the people who are currently working for CBS are still going to this unlicensed event. The official Star Trek licensed event will be next March. We still right. ha- don't, don't have a guest list for that. And that's Mission Chicago. Um, so I think August is about... It's in that iffy time, right? Where we're looking at it. I mean, we're all talking about it a lot, saying we want to go. We're feeling good about going. We're not committed to going. Right. I think everyone in our team has been double vaxxed at this point, right? Uh, um, I'm almost. I have my second shot next week. Oh, very exciting. Um <laughs> And then you need two weeks after that, but like, and, you know, but definitely by the, by June, everyone will be double vaxxed. And I think, yeah, I don't think they're going to require vaccination cards to go to the Vegas thing, um, which I guess. Well, that's a bigger may. issue across the board and around the world, but right. <laughs> right? Because Vegas is but, Vegas and they're, they're kind of um, letting people do whatever they want. Um, right. Like it's, you know, everywhere I go, where I live, there are protocols in place and there's a certain amount of not some not just not as much social distancing as you know we used to have but definitely lots of protocols and care and so i don't know what it's going to be like so in-person conventions are coming back uh you know another side of the times that that people are ready to come back the cruise for 2022 <laughs> has already sold out um the, the last cruise was literally the it pulled into um, port and they stopped all cruises like that yeah. in yep. march 2020 thank thank god for the voyage documentary people because half their footage is from that cruise right and they canceled the 2021 cruise uh the 2022 cruise has been sold out so people are ready to get back to cruising which is something i don't think i'll ever be ready to do <laughs> <laughs> No, and also, I mean, look at Comic-Con, right? So San Diego Comic-Con, the big one, is virtual again. Right, um, which is July. But New York Comic-Con, which is in the fall, is definitely happening in person. Right, in person. Although they're saying limited, but they're still using the Javits Center. So, you know, whatever. Um, and, and there's going to be a weird, I mean, I'm still not sure this is going to happen, but... The people behind Comic-Con announced that they're going to do this weird, limited Thanksgiving weekend in-person oh, yeah. Comic-Con in San Diego. Good luck with that, folks. Like, good luck with getting everybody who missed Thanksgiving with their family last year to skip it this year. <laughs> right. Like, are you going to get the, you know, the Marvel superstars to go on stage at Hall H Thanksgiving weekend? I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I think it's actually kind of shitty to do to there are a lot of journalists who cover comic-con it's part of their job to cover comic-con so no thanksgiving for you like it's it's not a smart choice i would not be surprised if it ends up getting canceled but it shows that they're you know they're ready to get back on the horse as it were um which means comic-con 2022 is going to happen for sure in san diego yeah um and these could be star trek events as well because start you know if CBS will probably use one of the two Comic Cons to do some kind of promotion. You know, they almost always do panels at both uh, San Diego and New York. They probably will. I would see them not doing the Thanksgiving, but doing the New York Comic Con 2021. Yeah. 
is my bet. And there'll be some kind of Star Trek panel. Well, hopefully for... I will be there. My plan is to be there. Exactly. So everyone get ready to go back to conventioning. There was one bit of sad news this week. Laura, you, I know that this is something that kind of hit you a little harder because um, you're a big fan of his. I so, love uh, so Norman Lloyd, who played Professor Galen on Star Trek The Next Generation. The Chase was the episode that he was in. He just died at 106, which is amazing. And I would say, I mean, I grew up watching him on St. Elsewhere, which was a show I really loved. Um, but I would say to anybody that this man is so fascinating. You should definitely go. There are a lot of articles about his history. He worked with Orson Welles. He worked with Alfred Hitchcock. He worked with Charlie Chaplin. He worked with Jean Renoir. He directed theater, TV, movies. He was a producer. He had the most unbelievable career and has done everything with everybody. And so I say, take a few minutes, find some fantastic, wonderful old interviews with him, and actually ones that aren't that old. There's been a documentary about him that was done in 2007. There's a lot of information out there, and he is well worth reading up on. And on art, we put up a post for him on social media after he died, and I saw Jonathan Frakes commented about how happy he was to be recording with a legend. I mean, to be filming with a legend. You know, he was a, a fascinating dude. Actually, Gates brought him up in her um, Ask Me Anything Reddit conversation also. So read up on this man. He was amazing. Fantastic actor, but also producer-director with an insane career. He did an interview, someone linked to this on our Twitter three years ago at 103 yeah he did a he did a podcast so good so you could say and as i'm stealing a line from someone else on our twitter but someone said and no one can deny that he lived long and prospered right? <laughs> he did and he was blacklisted back in the day and i think alfred hitchcock kept giving him work what a guy what a man yeah it's crazy stuff. Was. crazy stuff now speaking of living long and prospering in los angeles there's a new campaign, outdoor and social media campaign being run by an L.A. healthcare organization called L.A. Care, which is called the Live Long and Prosper campaign promoting vaccinations and masking. And uh, now Live Long and Prosper is actually a trademark of ICOM CBS, so they had to get that approved, which they were happy to do. And the Nimoy family are involved as well. So, um, you know, around Los Angeles, you'll see these billboards saying live long and prosper. And there's a picture of Nimoy and a kind of a, a version of the Star Trek, the motion picture poster, but it shows masked healthcare workers. <laughs> um, so it's kind of cool that, you know, it's I mean, the perfect title for a campaign to get people right. vaccinated. Just, yeah, get vaccinated. It's logical or something like that. But it's just amazing how, you know, Star Trek is everywhere. So you you brought up Gates on Reddit. I mean, she's doing a, our interview was kind of the first thing that came out of what seems to be a big publicity blitz on her yeah. part. Um, I think she's done a few other podcasts and a few interviews and stuff like that. So we, we were early adopters, but this week there's been a whole bunch of them around the web. One thing, when we did our interview and she talked about the Picard thing, conspiracy theorists were like, oh, this is all smoke and mirrors. She's definitely on the show. That She's just trying to deflect. And I don't get that sense. You know, on her no. Reddit ask. AMA, she said, 
um, when asked about being on Picard, she's like, ask Patrick and the producers. I have no clue. I, it would be fun to be on it. I mean, I think she's genuinely not in season two of Picard and she really wishes she were. Yep. A hundred percent. I think that's the case. But her first episode of her podcast is up now. It's with Jonathan Frakes. I listened to it yesterday and it's a lot of fun. They talked about sports at first, which to me was like blah, 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 sports, blah, 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 sports. But then they started talking about things that I found fun and interesting to listen to. Jazz, which I am a big jazz fan, and being parents and being kids and just they and theater. They covered a lot of stuff. Um, Jonathan Frakes has some great stories about Christopher Reeve. And it was just a really enjoyable conversation. Christopher Reeve stiffed him. Yeah, there was more, though. I would say, like, so there's a clip on our site where you can hear that story. But then he to he talked about him a little bit more. But I would say it's definitely worth a listen. I keep thinking about the fact that she did the editing, which she told us about. Um, and, and she did a great job. Good job, Gates. Uh, that's impressive. Definitely worth a listen. And she's got a lot of new interviews out there. So let's wrap up the week's news with a little bit of product news, which is the season three Discovery Blu-ray and Steelbook details were released this week where you can see what they look like. Um, the Steelbook looks really cool. They always look cool. I don't actually collect those, but I know a lot of people really like these limited editions. And, you know, it's a typical Star Trek release. You've got a lot of special features. There's one that I'm looking forward to, which is the, um, there's a special thing all about Kenneth Mitchell in there. Yeah. Who was, who was a big part of season three. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Same. And the there's a new thing called the writer's log. It's all like a personal journey with Michelle Paradise starting in Iceland when they, you know, were shooting the pilot. And, you know, I just I always like hearing from the people who are putting this stuff together. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear what she thinks season three was all about. Right. I mean, so. these are the people shaping the show. So I'm fascinated by that. I'm also interested in deleted scenes. So there's yes. a lot of good stuff on there. I mean, deleted scenes is a funny thing in the world of streaming, of course, because we've seen this on all of the Star Trek shows where they, they do vary the length. Um, so when you delete a scene, it isn't always to just fit that perfect timing, you know, no, but one hour with commercials. As we know, sometimes they leave stuff out. I mean, Picard, I remember we were all saying, like, what happened to this person? And what happened to that person? And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, that was cut. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, when we were talking to Noah, and we're like, well, there was this weird thing about your character and that weird thing. And he's like, oh, well, there was this whole story right. about him him being the accountant and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not sure a lot of that was even shot, though. So that's, uh, you know, maybe some of it was shot. And hopefully we'll get to see more Noah. Yeah. It's probably all going to be grudge stuff. <laughs> just just someone throwing grudge at him for that scene. <laughs> now, speaking of Blu-rays, a reminder, next week is on May 18th is the release of season one of Star Trek Lower Decks on Blu-ray, DVD, and Steelbook. That's why our guest this week is Mike McMahon, except he's not really... yeah a normal podcast guest where we bring him in and both of us talk to him and we have a great time and spend like an hour um, going on and on and on. This is more. Well, this was 
Anthony, you have 10 minutes to talk to him. We'll tell you when your 10 minutes is. Wait by the phone and be quick about it. So <laughs> Yeah, this is this is like one of those organized uh, press junket type things where and in the world uh, of remote stuff, these are not done in person although um and so yeah, it's it's the the audio is going to be phone audio so it's going to be crappy and it's going to be short. So, but I still think it's worth people listening to to hear Mike talk about Lower Deck season 1 and season 2. And, uh, but you know, that's why this is going to be a little different than our usual thing. Yeah. I mean, with, with 10 minutes, it didn't, we didn't even consider having both of us there. It didn't make any sense at all. Although I squeezed, I got like 18 minutes. I know I was impressed. You got a lot out of him. You got some good stuff. So let's start, let's start talking about it and we'll, we'll play parts of the interview so let's start with the first segment uh, uh which where we kind of talk a little bit about the release which was the whole purpose of the phone call yeah what's up anthony hey mike so uh one of the features on the blu-ray is a look at easter eggs and as you may be familiar our site and other sites do weekly easter egg articles all about your stuff yeah we must have uh, we kept you guys busy. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess that's my question of how do we do, how do we and other sites do? Are, are there a lot that we didn't even, you know, are there Easter eggs you guys are thinking no one spotted this or that? Or did most of the sites spot well, all the good ones? I mean, it's funny. It's kind of a combo of some of my artists slipped in last minute because we're working on stuff till the very last second. So my artists slipped in stuff that I didn't catch until broadcast, and I was like, oh, you fucking stinkers, you know, that you guys then caught, which was great. There are a, a few, you know, you guys caught all the literal kind of, you did an amazing job and a horrifying job as I make season two and three right now, knowing that there's an army of people smarter than me that are seeing my games at all times. Um, but I will say that the... Uh, the only thing you guys might not have been looking for is that when we're writing character motivations and turns and kind of things that come off as ridiculous, a lot of the time the most ridiculous stuff is grounded in Star Trek episodes, other characters having made a similar choice under lateral circumstances. And so there's almost a way to deconstruct stuff about lower decks that's in a character choice that's based in stuff you've seen in Star Trek. It's almost like echoes and fun, fun things where you're seeing it in a new way and seeing it through the lens of a character you've just met. But if you really dig through 700 episodes, you can find a person in Starfleet making a decision that isn't completely unlike it. And, and that's a way that we say, okay, we're making a comedy. We're bending the rules sometimes, but it's been done before. So we can always, you know, and, those aren't really Easter eggs, and, and the stuff you're finding, I don't really think of as Easter eggs either. It's, it's occasionally when we stick somebody in a closet, or if you're in like a store and you see like stuff in the background, there's kind of fun stuff that we, we think of it as like reusing props from other Star Trek shows, which is, but they did too. Like when you watch, right. you know, Generations, it's like, I've seen all this stuff before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, we're doing that, too, to try to build out the world of, like, a lot of what you guys are calling Easter eggs is us saying, hey, 
be okay with our show being animated and a comedy and shorter and louder and faster and crazier because look at all this familiar stuff. It's, it's in 2380. It's on a Starfleet ship. It's a new Starfleet ship, but a lot of this stuff is familiar, and that's what allows us to set the world, and then the characters get to get to be the funny kind of new thing in it. Do you, I mean... No longer... <laughs> Obviously, Easter eggs is a term used on the Blu-ray. You know, we often just use the phrase references, but Easter egg is a generic term. But do you, you know, being that it's on the Blu-ray, it's kind of a feature of the show. Do you see that as kind of a permanent feature of the show, this kind of referen- referencing thing, gags thing? Or do you feel that you may move further away from or into deeper cuts than a lot of these kind of Star Trek references constantly coming at you. Uh, I think on the, the reason it says Easter eggs on the Blu-ray is you need folks that maybe aren't as deep as you and I to understand kind of what one of the appeals of the show is. And Easter eggs, I think, in the vernacular is, hey, there's going to be stuff here you recognize, and some of it will be fun because there are Easter eggs in there, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for me, the show is always going to be a mixture of the familiar and the new. Every time we're doing something new, we're creating a new alien race. Like, you know, you go through all of these different Star Trek episodes, there's aliens that end up popping that you like, you want to see again, and that personally I want to see again. So, like, Exocomps didn't show up again in Starfleet a lot, but I loved them and I wanted to bring them back. You know what I mean? Like, same thing with the Packleds. So there's sort of a fine line between what's going to be the new stuff that you're seeing, because we are creating new alien races as well, and what are the Easter eggy kind of things being like, what does that say in Klingon in the background and this, you know, on little, little Kodos and stuff like that. So I do think the, the, from an Easter egg point of view, Lower Decks is always going to be playing with stuff that is familiar and celebrating it and, and feeling like Star Trek like that while doing new stuff at the same time. But we're never intending to be like the, the Easter eggs on the DVD. Great. Like if you want to do, you see that bonus feature and like, have somebody walk you through everything. You might see something you didn't see. You know, you guys probably know all of it. It'll just be like a greatest hits to you guys. But to somebody who's not as well versed, it might make you want to be like, oh, I should go watch that TNG episode. That's cool. But, you know, there's a, there's, I want the show to feel different than a DVD bonus feature, right? right. Episodes aren't made to be deconstructed. They're made to be enjoyed and feel the stakes and live along with the characters and laugh. Then maybe on the second time through, it can, be, it can be deconstructed and kind of, you know, the whole buffalo can be picked apart a little bit and you can find all the Easter eggs and stuff we hid in there and all the textured Star Trekishness of it. But on the DVD, the nice thing is, if you're just feeling like looking for Easter eggs and talking about that, there's a separate way to do it instead of kind of pausing and going through the episode. Okay, so that was our first segment where we talked about the Blu-ray release. I decided to get into the Blu-ray release by talking about one of the special features, which was a feature all about Easter eggs. And because it's, it's something that we've talked about here on the podcast, which is, is the show going to be, keep going with this heavy reference thing? I mean, we kind of have embraced it on the website on trekmovie.com. Every week we would do our review, you know, which would look at, the episodes and then we do a separate article just about all the star trek references which we would call the easter egg article which they're doing on the dvd also which is if you want to just see all the easter eggs you can and it's fun that mike kind of he seems to be aware of what we're doing 
<laughs> yeah. He talked, <laughs> he talked about how we're we, basically we're catching them. It sounds like we're catching them all, even though he kind of feels like there's more to it than that. You know, he, the way he said, there's a different way to deconstruct the show instead of just looking at the references, which I guess is what we try to do with our reviews perhaps but but i think what he was also saying that's interesting is that he that there are things they're not easter eggs because it's not like here's a visual gag or a reference to something that you know i like the way he said that if you really watch the show you'll see parallels maybe in choices that lower decks characters might make that actually harken back to let's say an episode from the next generation or from that era from 90s trek era so I thought like that makes me want to go back and watch things again with a different eye, different viewpoint. That wouldn't be, it certainly wouldn't be, you know, if Boimler makes a choice that's similar to something that Data did, um, we wouldn't necessarily call that a, or even pull it out as a mention in one of our articles. Um, but yeah, I think we should maybe take a closer look at that. Certainly it's something that, I'd like to make sure we catch for the reviews of the episode. That's more about character motivation. Yeah. The sense I get from him is they're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. And yeah. the show's the show's going to be full of Star Trek references. And it's, I mean, I kind of love it, but it is, it's also a knock on the show that it's, um, that it's essentially this fire hose of references um and sometimes for me you and i talked about this a lot as we were reviewing season one sometimes for me they would cross the line like in the first episode at the end when you know mariner just starts basically name dropping you know spock and and all of this stuff and it's like it's more than that you know the show's got to be more than that i feel like it is i think it is but it is no it's like boimler's in the elevator like humming or whistling the next generation theme things like that um but i think to me it just adds to all the different levels which is why i can watch lower decks with my son who's not particularly savvy about star trek to my dismay but he enjoys it just as much and he gets sort of the the parody vibe of it without necessarily knowing the specifics and there's so much material to work with that I, they'll never run out of obscure oh, God, alien no. races. No. I enjoy the references. We'll still be looking for them. We'll still be, as he's saying, deconstructing the episodes. But that, you know, his whole thing of episodes are not, he said, episodes are not meant to be destruct. They're meant to be enjoyed. And then on the second time, which is why we run, we do a review. And then two days later, we do the deconstruction because. Yeah. There's still stories. It's still a Star Trek show with stories to tell and characters that are, engage us. And that's more important, for sure, is the Star Trek story they're telling, not the, oh, isn't that amazing that they brought back that, you know, they brought back the exocomps, you know, which no, was look, amazing. There's a lot of bad Star Trek comedy out there that is basically just references. And this is not that. In this next segment, we're going to talk about the introduction of Riker in both season one and season two, and also just get into his whole theory on using legacy characters on Lower Decks. Let's hear it. I think you've said that we're going to see more canon characters like Riker in season two. 
I know you're not going to tell me who, but you know, people have noticed that the Riker on there, including Frakes, is a little different. There's even a crazy fan theory that your Riker is actually Thomas Riker, which I know is a joke. Uh, Thomas Riker is a dork. Like, <laughs> he joined the McKee. What are we doing? I, it's, our Riker is the real Will Riker. It's, uh, that, that wasn't my question. That, like, the question is, so let's say you have Worf. I talked to Michael, you know, he said he'd love to do the show. Gates said the same thing. You know, you have one of these characters on. Can we expect a, this, a Michael, you know, your version, kind of the Mike McMahon version of these characters to be broader and kind of picking one element of them, almost like a caricature, you know, but still their character. But is that how you, you know, you find a few elements and you say, that's my version of them? I mean, the easy answer to that is, yeah, of course. Like, it'll be my version of them because I'll be writing them and directing them. But then, of course, they will be balancing it with, like, when we worked with Frank and Marina uh, and John DeLancey, it was like, tell me how your character would say this line. Let's rewrite this line in the booth. Let's record it different ways. Let's find a great middle ground. You know, like, when we were working with Jonathan Frakes, he was like, gosh, it'd be great if I could yell red alert here. Like, I, I, I love how Riker says that. And we were like, yeah, we rewrote the scene to make sure that he could start with red alert. You know, the, the exact way he likes to do it. For me, bringing in a legacy character, it has to make sense diegetically. It has to make sense in the show. It has to make sense for where that character is in the canon, in the timeline right then. And if we're going to exaggerate it or not, it's never going to be to punch down on the character. It's never going to be to make a mockery of them. It's got to be to embody a certain element of them. And, you know, it's tough because, like, we don't want to cartoonify or diminish anything that, that people have done, which is why... You know, it's probably less likely that Sir Patrick Stewart is ever going to be on Lower Decks. Because, like, how is our dinky ship going to run into him, in a way? And a lot of the quote-unquote Lower Decks characters from the other shows, it is a little bit easier to get them. You know, Frakes, Marina, like, they were easier because I had spoken to Jonathan before we pitched the show. And he loved the idea, and we had wanted to work together. And it was one of the few cases where I tried to make sure that we were able to do that. But, you know... I love all of these existing characters in canon, and I want to do right by them. And it's, it's you got to be careful. Like you have to, you have to recognize who they are and feel like it's a celebration of them, as opposed to like utilizing them and disposing them and saying something in canon that isn't true about them. You know, so I would love to work with with all of these folks, with Gates and and with you know everybody. Like. I, I would love to figure out, I would love this show to go seven seasons and for us to do little check-ins on people as we're going, you know, that makes sense. But I, I only want to write them in a way that it really feels worth having back them, that it feels like our show changed to fit how important they are and not the other way around. And on top of that, like, I, I wouldn't want to write them so drastically that you just aren't feeling like you're not catching them on a certain day. Like, this is a funnier day for Riker. Like, he's having a better time here. This is what he's like. In this, in this six months of his life or whatever this is for him. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, you see these characters shift and change when you're watching the original series that there are because the actors are finding different things to express with them. You don't want things to be static. You want, you want the characters to be reacting to stuff and changing. Sometimes you've got a funnier writer who's writing them a little more comedically. Like, sometimes you have Warp and he's a stoic warrior who's, who's trying to find his identity from, from growing up, you know, with, with human parents versus his place in his house, you know, back on Kronos. And it's like, those are heavy stories. And then other times, work is funny and he gets to be funny.
funny, and Dorn gets to play him funny. And the way I think of it is, we're playing people funny. When they're on Lower Decks, they get to do the funny stuff that I'm that made me inspired to do Lower Decks in the first place. I really like what he said about the, how he'd bring characters back and about Worf in particular, because I, you know, my favorite Worf moments are good tea, nice house, and Worf eating an omelet that everybody else thinks is disgusting, and all those funny, him calling human females too fragile. Like, I feel like there are all these great, funny Worf moments, and those are the ones that fit in Lower Decks, which is what he's saying. And so I think his approach to all the characters is with is through that lens, and it makes a lot of sense, and that's the right way to bring them back. And if he gets all of his seasons, I think he'll bring everybody back. I mean, he's a big fan, and they all want to do it. I like what he said about it would be difficult to get Patrick Stewart on, obviously. But yeah, for he, that he's exact basically reason. saying but he's he's saying even if we could get him and he we wouldn't want to. And because it wouldn't he's I think what he's saying is yes, our versions of these characters are exaggerations. They're he even uses the word exaggerated. Right. Um which is why you know I brought up that crazy internet theory on Riker to say, yes, ob- obviously, as he confirmed, it is the real Riker. But people have noticed. In fact, Jonathan Frakes has kind of mentioned it that he, that lower decks Frakes or lower decks. Well, we we've even talked about this that lower decks version of Riker is is extra Frakesy, you know. Yes, and is um, playful in a way that Riker rarely got to be. Right. And so these are exaggerated. So I could see a wharf version of that and uh, data, even though data is dead. I'm starting to think like, what is, I'm not sure I see a Dr. Crusher version of that, but I'm sure they do because they're. Oh, you could do it. You could do it because you just pick, she had so many, um, she had a good handful, a good smattering, I would say of episodes that starred her that are, that have funny elements that you could bring back i mean you look at remember me you look at the host you look at obviously sub rosa um and they could definitely do something with with those and obviously there's room here to do this with other characters um from like voyager and deep space yeah. nine as well and there's plenty of room there to do exaggerated versions of those characters but still Within, you know, they still have to. It's this dance of like, okay, this is the canon character. We're not saying, you know, but we're also just we're turning the knob up on them to eleven. Right. I think what I also like for Troy, I think they went for movie Troy versus TV Troy. Her character, right? The the, the roll, the, the, the the eye rolling is strong with that one. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Because they could have gone in the other direction of lots of sensing emotions and. You know, I sense he's lying, but I don't know what it's about, which was a lot of the first few seasons with <laughs> Troy. So I sense he's decef- deceiving us, but I don't know in what way. Um, so I'm glad they went with movie Troy for that because she was she got to loosen up and have more fun. And so they they played up that. And again, more Marina, less Deanna. Right. And and he brought this up of how he he's letting them influence like he's talked about the frakes wanted to do the red alert thing (laughs) that's my favorite thing he did that to me on the phone once when i was pre like prepping him for something that i was working on that he was gonna be in and he i spoke to him and he was at an airport and he just starts and he just goes red alert 
like at the top of his lungs. And I'm like squeeing like a fangirl silently on the other side of the phone, um, wondering what it's like for the other people in the fancy airport lounge. <laughs> but he does like saying those things. I mean, Gates said he opened her podcast, which I listened to just with freaks. Like, that's who he is. So I love that they're letting him do it. So and so, you know, but he's basically confirming, yes, there's going to be more of this. I mean, not just we know that there's going to be a little bit of Riker in season two. I don't think there's going to be a lot. Um, I don't think Marina's in season two. So I think we're going to get one episode on the Titan and then Boimler's back. Let's get him back. I want Boimler back. I, th- I think from the teaser they've released, I think Boimler's getting disillusioned with life on the Titan. You know, maybe they'll do a couple episodes or something, but for some reason he's going to want to come back to the Cerritos. Yeah. Maybe it'll be too perfect. Don't meet your heroes. Of course that, but he's, he, he was promoted to Lieutenant, right? So will he get demoted? Oh yeah. Maybe something crazy will happen and he'll get Mariner got Mariner was promoted to Lieutenant, but then demoted back to Ensign, right? Yep. So I wonder if they'll do the same with Boimler, you know, because if they run this thing for seven seasons and we've talked about this before, all are these lower deckers going to remain ensigns? If I had more time with Mike, I'd I'd want to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, Bart Simpson remains 10 years old. Yeah. But the Simpsons (laughs) is different where they're constantly resetting the timeline, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. But there's yeah, definitely like, more flexibility with the animation. He's talked about how the show is set in 2380. And I'm one, you know, like, are they going to perpetually be set in 2380? It seems to they... be the time period he likes, which actually is a good segue into our next clip from him. One of the things I wanted to talk to him about, because that there is this thing of, if you look at the timeline, we're getting into the period of On the Titan where based on what Michael Chabon has developed for the character of Riker, that they had a son, the son's name was Thad. And, you know, there's that that whole thing. We did an article on that on the site. And a lot of this was in the book, um, which we talked about earlier this year when we had the author on James Swallow. So I wanted to get into, okay, well, how are you, are you guys working together on these stories? So here's what, uh, Mike had to say about that. One of the major features of season one was ending with Riker and the Titan. Now I know that Michael Chabon, I don't, I'm sure when the timing of this is, but you know, before he did season one of Picard, he kind of worked out all this kind of Riker backstory um, on the Titan and his son on the Titan and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, which if you work out the timing, it's not that far ahead of where you guys are. Um, you know, in theory, Deanna could even be pregnant with their son. You know, so are you guys coordinating and might we see some of the Shaban Titan elements in Lower Decks? Well, I don't want to give anything away. I will say that I think Shaban is brilliant and he's a true Trekkie, like, I've hung out with him multiple times, uh, him and his wife, and we have a uh, we have a showrunners secret hideout to set up a showrunners kind of uh, meeting that we do, where all of the showrunners on the different Trek shows come together, you know, and talk about what we're doing seasonally, what we're doing with legacy characters, just trying to make sure that 
it feels like there's a cohesive understanding of the timeline and what we think is important about the characters. Now, I the way I'm handling Riker is the stories we're telling on the Titan are a part of Riker's history. They might be a little bit of an exaggerated version of it through our show, but the events that we're talking about definitely fit into, you know, where where Riker's journey is, where he's he's no longer on the Enterprise and you know he's doing his own thing now. If the, the version of Riker we're seeing is the kind of thing that I like about Riker, it's the larger than life, jazz loving, kind of mischievous Riker, which is not everybody's Riker, you know, but it is a Riker you see every once in a while. So to me, the stuff you're going to be seeing in season two of the Titan is stuff that happened. It's probably a little bit more ebullient. It's told through our show's point of view, and it's probably a little bit before the stuff that Shaban kind of wrote for Riker and for, for Troy as they are heading into where you find them in Picard. I like to think of it as the calm before the storm, you know, this kind of era that we're in for lower decks, like it's pre a lot of heavy stuff. It's post TNG, post nemesis, pre some pretty, pretty big events that lead to changes in the Federation and this Picard's life and everybody around him. And so we're really careful that, 2380, which is where we're telling most of our stories right now, like, it's this, it's this little calm, and what are people's lives like when they're stretching a little bit, and when they're, when they're exploring and having fun, and, and before life starts to kind of get a little bit more complicated. You mentioned um, there's a coordination. One of the surprising things was that Prodigy is very close to you guys, at least time-wise. So, has that, you know, can you, you know, are you coordinating with them to kind of make sure that you're all on the same page in the, you know, late 24th century? Yes. There's a couple things about Prodigy, and I'm, I'm going to be really macro on this because I can't remember what they've revealed about their show, and I don't want to step on any toes, but <laughs> there are some intrinsic storytelling details about their show that keep us from bumping into each other too much, both with timeline and location and that kind of stuff. Uh, and characters. Um, there have been a couple times where we'll turn in a story area and a secret hideout. I'll get a call from an executive being like, hey, the Prodigy guys were talking about also taking a look at this character. So then the Hagemans and I will jump on the phone. We'll talk about how are you going to be using this character? What, what timeline will it be? What's important for you guys? And then sometimes it'll be like, okay, we'll just make sure that when we're using them, there's an understandable reason that they could get to you guys in their way. And other times it's like, wow, I love the way you guys are using this character, or I, they love the way we're using it. We'll just switch out the character for somebody else. So it is kind of a little bit of like a, a dance, and like we're kind of working together because we all love Star Trek, and we just want to be – like if you're watching Lower Decks, and then you switch over to Prodigy and watching that, we don't want you to you – we don't want you to be distracted watching either show by being like, well, wait a minute, the other show said something else. Like that's – you know, it's important to us that we're respecting canon – but also respecting each other's shows. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of easy ways to do it. Um, There's so many characters in Star Trek and there's, there's so much to use and go around that like, sometimes we geek out about the same ideas and sometimes those work together. But, you know, a short answer is, yeah, we're talking all the time and we're just, we're just making sure that we're both making the best show possible because neither Prodigy nor Lower Decks is entirely dependent on legacy characters really ever. Like, they're kind of a part of what's fun about it, but the new characters and the new stories we're telling is really the feature. So when you're swapping that stuff out or making adjustments, 
know, it's it's really just producing. It's making sure that that we're being careful and that we're 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 trying to do things that make the audience feel like we are we're we're, we're making sure not to do anything with a cavalier or flippant or dismissive kind of eye towards what we all love. And we're back. I like you know him talking about how all the showrunners are coordinating and when he when when we dug deeper into that uh, with the interview on prodigy because lower decks is set in 2380 one of the surprising things about prodigy is that it's set in 2383 i mean it is very close Mm -hmm. um to even though we know it's in the delta quadrant it was funny like mike wasn't sure you know how much do you know (laughs) He's like yeah, they can't keep of... track of what official information is out there on the other shows. That's a lot to ask. What what I found interesting is he kind of revealed something about Prodigy. I mean, first, you know, it's it, it was interesting to hear how he and the Hageman brothers are talking. But he talked about how the Prodigy guys would want to look at a or use a specific character that they may also want to use. So that kind of reveals that even though Prodigy is off in the Delta Quadrant in 2383, for some reason they're going to be referencing or using characters that we're familiar with. Which, right? Yes, which could be done in a huge variety of ways. Because Janeway's a hologram. So, you know, is it Janeway just talking about, you know, Paris or... Ensign Kim, who, you know, maybe, you know, she references how Ensign Kim finally got promoted to lieutenant or something. Right, or does she say, oh, I'm going to, here's here's Tuvok to explain this to you. I mean, there's that. Right, like, is hologram Janeway actually the tip of the hologram iceberg, as it were? <laughs> and that there'll be holograms of her friends as well to to help, you know, or... Will the the thing we don't know is will there be any communication with Starfleet right. on Prodigy? Because we know that the Pathfinder project, the Barclay project, we know that they had established a way to communicate with Starfleet um, from the Delta Quadrant years earlier. So, in theory, hologram Janeway could be talking to real Janeway. I'm not sure, you know, maybe they could cut to scenes back, back in the Alpha Quadrant. Who knows? But it the, the, that definitely got me thinking when he said that they're going to be touching on some of the same characters. Because Mike said something like, we'll make sure that when we use them in 2380, he's meaning, there's an understandable reason that they could get to to you guys in that way by 2383. Even if Janeway's giving history lessons, you know, I could see that coming up if there's a specific character. Like that time when this thing happened, and then they just want to make sure that it all connects. It does sound, there's definitely someone at Secret Hideout who's making sure this all works together. You know, because he said that they submit things to Secret Hideout, and then Secret Hideout, which Alex Kurtzman's production company, says, well these guys are doing this thing and you're doing that thing. And maybe we need to make sure everyone's on the same page. So just think about all the different time periods they have going uh, went up spread out across all the new shows. 
It's a lot. Yeah. But so. Picard, Lower Decks, and Prodigy are all playing in the late 24th century. Right. So so there's extra crossover situation with them. With with Discovery now, they can maybe make a reference to something that happened in the 24th century. Right. Which they need to make sure is all on the same page. And then Strange New Worlds has to be super careful. Like they're in the same boat that Discovery used to be in. I am glad to hear that they're all talking and I'd love to be a fly on the oh. wall to listen to a conversation between him and the Hagemans. I know this. I hope someone's recording these. Um, I always showrunner meetings. I go, this is a big deal. This is creating new Star Trek history. And absolutely. I hope somebody's recording it because I can't stand it. <laughs> I want to be part of all those conversations. Oh, I want to hear all those conversations. Just be the invisible person listening to all of it going down. Yeah. I guess, you know, what I liked is he's saying they're not being dismissive or flippant. They're just being very, they're taking this very seriously, even though it's a comedy. Yeah. Well, because it's still Star Trek. Look, it's a comedy about Star Trek because he loves Star Trek. So he's not going to spit on it. Now, getting back to Riker, I, I don't think we're going to get the Deanna's pregnant with Thad storyline. It doesn't sound like we're going to really be touching on any of the stuff that Shaban developed that he's basically saying I'm doing a I'm playing around in this brief period before stuff started happening right well things were still kind of light and fun right so he has a limited time frame because everything has to be I think things start getting dark obviously when the Hobus star explodes right yeah which I think they're about i mean if the, if this show ran for seven seasons they could they could get into that er- era which gets back to this question of are they just going to perpetually stay in the this wonderful jazzy one year after nemesis era forever or are they going to get into some of these darker things which they don't want to do obviously. yeah i don't think they're going to get into the darker times this is where this is the playground he wants to be in yeah. And I'm I'll be happy if he stays there. That's what this show is for. Yeah. So every year it'll just be 2380. They're in a time loop, but they're evolving. <laughs> but Kelsey Grammer doesn't pop out at the end. <laughs> It'd be fun if they <laughs> they found a way to have him do that anyway, you know. Just, just, just in the last episode. <laughs> so moving on to the end of my brief but packed interview with mike <laughs> i i as we were wrapping up and running out of time i tried to squeeze something out of him about season two and i, I focused on security chief which you know because as we know uh shacks <laughs> you know shacks finally got his wish and got to blow something up um and you know which again you know we were just talking about how they want to keep things light on this show, but they killed one of the main characters. Yeah. That was kind of a big deal, but they need a new security chief for season two. And I wanted to see what he'd have to say about that. And so we'll run that. And then he said some fun things as we closed out. So let's listen to that. I know that you have a new security chief that you're very excited about. And I just want to squeeze something out of you on this, like a, a tease. Is it a new character or anything? It's a new character. It's a species we've seen before. 
not one who we've seen in Starfleet before. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, and, well, um, thank you very much, Mike, and uh, we'll be keep on looking for all those deep references, but not necessarily Easter eggs. Hey, call them Easter eggs. That's fine. Just as long as you guys know, we love Star Trek, and I love, I love seeing you guys talk about the show. It gets me really excited, and I can't wait to be able to, like, hang with you guys at, at a Star Trek convention or, or whatever it is in the future. I really felt like this year has really removed me from this fandom that I love, and, and you guys are a big part of it. So thank you so much for, you know, for treating us like a Star Trek show. It just means a lot to me. Well, uh, my podcast co-host def- definitely wants you to join us for like an hour. Maybe we'll hang out in Vegas or something and do that. Let's do it, but we have to have a beer in our hand while we're talking track, all right? That's my stipulation. Okay, great. Have a good time. Great. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye. So it's so just let's start with the security chief, um, a species we've seen before, but not one in Starfleet. Do you have any theories? Um, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued, but no, you know, I'm not, I, I, I need to start running through. It's probably going to be someone from next generation. Yeah. Cause you know, so it's, it's gotta be some, someone who could plausibly be part of the Federation. But hasn't but was, been in Star but had it, but had it joined. So some race that either they met up with somewhere that was close to joining, perhaps. Yeah, I feel like now I gotta start skimming through episodes and trying to guess which one it could be. But it's not going to be a legacy character. Like they're not going to no. bring in someone like Sonia Gomez. No, he said it's a new character. So it's someone yeah. we haven't met and it's a familiar species, but just not in Starfleet, which, you know, the way that I think in Discovery, we're going to see Cardassians being part of the Federation. Um, obviously, that can't happen here. Actually, why not a Cardassian? I, I think you're onto something because that was my know, first thought. And then I thought, I don't know if it makes I don't think it makes sense in that era. I think it. Well, Yes and no. I mean, Worf is a Klingon. The Klingon Emperor's Empire is its own thing, yeah, right? That's true. There could and be a... Rolaren was a Bajoran, but Bajor was not part of the Federation. So, you know what? It could be a Cardassian. I think it's... I'm going to go... Because y- you know they want someone who's tough, right? I was trying to think of who are some, like, big species, big, tough species. But Cardassians may not be, like, big, but they're tough. They're very and, tough. Yeah. And they'd be good at security. Exactly. That's kind of their thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think. And, and, and of course, there's an interesting dynamic there because obviously Shax was a Bajoran. So have a Bajoran replaced with a Cardassian. There's almost a weird poetry to that of a Cardassian who's kind of joined the Federation for whatever reason. Right. There were also sympathetic Cardassians on Deep Space Nine, scientists and various people. But that was a a, a nice little tease from Mike. Um, and I'm, you know, we're I'm sad for him that his not sad for him, but his show came out during the pandemic, and so normally all the fun convention fandom stuff, uh, he hasn't been able. He's had to do zooms and virtual conversations so and he's lamenting that a little bit which makes me like him just even even more than i did before 
I actually met him, I think, probably at his last in-person convention, which was probably San Diego Comic-Con 2019, because he wasn't at New York Comic-Con. Yeah, it's been a long time to do in-person events. So yeah, I, hopefully we do get some time with Mike in, maybe he'll go to Vegas, even though it's not an official event. Who knows? That That's less likely now that I think about it. Because when I mentioned Vegas, he didn't pick up on that. So maybe we'll have to wait till Mission New York or Mission Chicago Vegas is also, I think, when Lower Decks premieres, right? Yes. I think it's the same. I think we. I think Vegas will be on day one, two, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because Vegas kicks off on the eleventh, um, and Lower Decks starts on the twelfth. So, well, that'll keep us busy. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a busy week for us. Hopefully, Mike is there. If not, we'll definitely have to sit down and have that beer with him at some time. Yes, and re- and record us getting drunk for all access Star Trek the podcast. <laughs> a whole new kind of podcast. Yes. Don't podcast while drunk. Right. At least don't edit the podcast while drunk. Especially that. Yes. <laughs> so that's it for the interview with Mike and for our discussion about Star Trek Lower Decks. We'll probably return to the subject of Lower Decks again before the August 12th season two premiere probably after the next trailer. I Hopefully we'll get a trailer maybe during virtual Comic-Con in July. Sure. And then we can look back and look ahead at the same time and get all excited for the season two premiere. Oh boy. And that'll be kind of the beginning of a big flow of Star Trek shows. You know, they won't necessarily be back to back. Although I think for 2021, we may get three shows back to back. So we'll go, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Discovery, and Discovery will then flow into 2022, and then and then we get Picard and Strange New Worlds, yeah, and then we'll loop back again for Woo. more Lower Decks and Prodigy. So August 12th is kind of it's a big day. Begin- it's a big day, you know. It's the the end of the Star Trek pandemic hi- hiatus. <laughs> I'll start making a post for social right away. <laughs> So let's talk about our bits of the week. What you got, Fun. buddy? Well, my thing is actually something from 2016, which was the 30th anniversary of Star Trek IV. And at Mission New York, which was in that, that year, our friend Mark Altman, who you know, wrote, literally wrote the book on Star Trek and <laughs> has the great podcast, uh, the Trexperts with um, Darren Doctorman. So I think this was before that podcast existed. I can't remember, um, but he organized a staged reading of Star Trek four, where he had different people reading the script for that great movie. A lot of actors that you may not know their names, but if you saw their faces, you're like, Oh, that guy from that movie and that TV show. And they had, I think Terry Farrell, was involved right right some of the some of the um some star trek people so terry farrell plays savik which is great um, that's ethan, awesome ethan phillips plays sarek <laughs> and but mary stewart masterson plays kirk which i think is that is random <laughs> and wonderful yeah and you may not know who damien young is or brian haley is but if you saw them you're like oh i know they're and they play spock and mccoy so anyway it's just a fun thing and this week 
for the Trexperts podcast, um, Inglorious Trexperts, they released the full audio and we have it on Trek Movie. So, so you could listen to that. And we've got some pictures from the event, which Mark sent me. Oh, nice. Just a fun listen to a recreation of Star Trek Four as an audio play, essentially. It would have been great to see it live. I, I missed that. I wasn't at Mission New York. I was at Missions and I missed that somehow. We were covering a lot of stuff. So I must have missed that one. But their podcast, they have, so it's Inglorious Trexperts. And then they also have Trexperts Briefing Room, I guess, under the same umbrella. And I've been enjoying some of those as they're watching back episodes, sometimes with the people who wrote them. Um, They've done one from Discovery and one from Next Gen. So that's fun too. Those guys obviously know what they're talking about indeed indeed so what's your bit of the week well mine is based on a super awkward moment from last week's episode (laughs) when we were talking to gates about genesis and she talked about how she and michael westmore were lamenting that it was not nominated for an emmy for makeup and i awkwardly said oh but it was nominated but it didn't win and she said no we were just talking about it and then i just kind of faded off quietly said interesting or something like that so anyway it does a lot of these sites like i we we looked it up after we watched the episode a few months ago and all the websites say that it was nominated so i had to do some sleuthing so i went to the emmys site you didn't have to yes i did (laughs) i mean i I remember afterwards i'm like oh you know just leave leave this alone laurie It's, it's i'm sure she's right she would remember and Michael remembers. I remember kind of trying to talk you out of doing this loop thing, but you had to do it. I had to do it because I wanted to go back to Memory Alpha and Wikipedia and say, guys, you need to correct this information because look, we're Trek movie. And so we publish stories, but we also debunk things. So come on. I was being a sleuth and I went to the Emmy site and I found the listing and it didn't say the episode. So, and she had said it was all good things that was nominated. So I reached out to them and emailed them and I got a very nice email back saying, I will be in the office on Tuesday and I will get you an answer. And so then the very nice person went into the office on Tuesday and emailed me and said, um, the episode that was nominated in 1994 was Genesis. So then I had to get specific because I said, okay, but it won for sound editing. So can you verify its makeup? And this wonderful person took a picture of the program book for the makeup page and proved to me that yes, Genesis was in fact nominated for best makeup. Um, I let Gates know who said, thanks sleuth. Um, she said, that's good to know. And I was like, please tell Michael Westmore <laughs> because they should know like that was great makeup in that episode and much. And that nomination was deserved. And so was a win. For those who aren't in the business, when an episode gets nominated by Television Academy, that's actually not decided by them. Each studio decides which episodes they want to put up for each category. So the the Academy will decide what to nominate, but they will choose from the episodes you present to them, which is what I think Gates was talking about, about how she wanted the studio to push genesis out as the as the example of the best makeup of the season um and she seemed to have remembered that the studio was pushing for uh the finale 
And I guess she just remembered it wrong because this happened 30 years ago. Yeah. You know? She said, here I have been spreading incorrect rumors all these years. <laughs> she said back. But the truth is, she's happy that it did get the nomination. I would never expect people to remember all of those details from so long ago anyway. But I feel very happy that she knows and can feel good about it. And hopefully she'll tell Michael Westmore. And I'm glad you didn't listen to me. I tried to talk you out of diving down this Emmy rabbit hole, but good job. So that's a, this is an elaborate way to say we have a correction from our last episode. We do. We do. And my correction, I was intending to get a correction for the other side. I was trying to prove her right. And instead I did the opposite, but it has a happy ending. Yeah. It's like, she's not going to care that, you know, she was off on this one thing. I mean, it's so weird to be talking about something you did 30 years ago yeah. in this kind of detail. Like who of us remembers what they were doing at work 30 years ago? You know, well, it depends what day, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have some vivid days, but yes, I know what you mean on that note. I think we are done for the week. <laughs> That's enough. That's yeah. enough of us. Thank you again. For listening to our 41st episode of All Access Star Trek. You can find links to all the things that we've talked about on the website, which is also conveniently where you can leave us comments. Do it! <laughs> so come to trekmovie.com and next Friday will be another episode of All Access Star Trek. See you next week. <laughs>